Little T Trauma, a limited series podcast by Lycasting. Hey, Laura, how are you doing today? Hey, Krista, I'm really good, thanks. How are you? Good. I'm excited to be here to see our new adventure take form, and I, I can't wait to tell people what we're doing here and what this is all about. Me too. I'm so excited. I was like a little kid on Christmas morning, <laughs> knowing that we were recording the first episode today. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't sleep last night either. I heard your voice message this morning, so I was like, yeah, that was me up like every hour on the hour thinking about what we we're going to say and what we we're going to do <laughs> and how we we're going to explain people our new side venture that we're excited to be doing today. <laughs> okay, for us. So I thought maybe what we would do is just explain to everybody who we are first and then get into what Little T Trauma Podcast is actually about and what we're doing here. So why don't you tell the people who you are and what you do? So I'm Laura Forbes and I'm a relationship coach. So I like to specialize in helping people to uncover what their patterns are in relationships. You know, the patterns that lead to choosing unhealthy relationship dynamics and repeating those patterns over um, and to get into alignment with the healthy, secure, fulfilling relationships that a lot of people are looking for. Yeah, you're doing literally God's work, basically. <laughs> well, thank you. And how about you? Why don't I know you tell... we thought we... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Why don't you tell people what you do? So I am in the same space of healing. My work is more related to religious trauma and wounding is where I got my start. And then I have a podcast called I'm Awake Now What, which really centers around spirituality, personal development and healing. And that's kind of like the Venn diagram of where my focus is um, for the work that I do. And then I also run a spiritual podcast network, which this podcast will air on as well called Lightcasting. So I'm the founder of that network and kind of just spend my days deep diving into existential questions with you all day long on our voice memos. <laughs> I was going to say, you're the most productive, busiest woman that I know out there creating <laughs> awesome body of work and still having the time to send me little daily podcasts on WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, we talk, we talk all day long on WhatsApp. Um, so I, I think it might be good to tell people how we met too. I think, you know, like you're obviously not American, which, you know, is a tragedy, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um do you want to tell people how we met and how how we're still friends years later years later I forget like the specific hows I don't know whether you slid into my dms or did I slide into your dms but it was via instagram and it's going back a good four if not you know four and a half five years ago that we connected on the gram for our love of memes and um all things healing <laughs> Yeah, and that's really why we've probably stayed friends for so long, because we're really invested in sort of healing the collective from different entry points. And I had you on my podcast uh, very, very early on at, at its very baby, baby stages. <laughs> so yeah. I appreciate you supporting me from all the way back then. And ditto. Yeah, you were, I think, potentially the first podcast I ever did. And it was just at the beginnings. I think I was either just moving back or had just moved back to the UK after spending eight years in Australia. Um, and I wanted to, you know, start my own business and really share the learnings and work that I'd been doing on myself over, you know, previous years. And and then, yeah, we connected and I got invited onto the podcast and the rest is history. <laughs> and it's been a beautiful friendship ever <laughs> since. The rest so, is in our WhatsApp history. Why don't we tell... <laughs> 
Yes, we do have like a clause in our friendship that says like, please delete upon death, <laughs> untimely death, basically. Yeah, destroy. <laughs> yes, very important. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of secrets in those WhatsApp messages. <laughs> there's a lot of secrets, a lot of breakdowns, breakthroughs, <laughs> juicy conversations. A lot of TMI. Oh yeah, don't forget the TMI jingle. <laughs> Yeah, we invented a TMI jingle so that in case we are going to preface a story that has a little too much information, we can alert the listener to the fact that there might be some disturbing information coming through and you're not surprised on the other end. Yeah, you might want to take it off speakerphone and and pick it up. Yeah, don't listen in the grocery store. (laughs) Big mistake. So why don't we tell everyone now what we're doing with this podcast, how it came about. I think we've for a long time also been wanting to collaborate with one another and figure out how can we do that? What's a a funny, humorous way we can sort of meld our work together? And and I think that's kind of where those were like the beginning ideas. But what is Little T Trauma Podcast about? It's one of those things where we have such great, juicy conversations on the daily and um like you said you know we're both involved in healing work in our day-to-day lives you know we're doing stuff that can be quite serious sometimes and there is like a you know obviously like I said we connected through our love of memes right and those memes kind of centered around the healing journey a lot of the time so it is a really fun space and I think for me anyway this little endeavor that we're embarking on together is a way of kind of, you know, showcasing some of the things that we've learnt along our ways with that, you know, lighthearted take on some things as well, right? Because healing and trauma can be Mm -hmm. quite a heavy subject and not to take away from that, but just to, you know, have a look at it from a little bit of a different angle that's accessible and, but also, you know, um, uplifting and enriching. Yeah. The healing work is such a, it's just such a heavy word. And I think one of the things that I like instantly really liked about you was that you always kind of took it with a humorous approach and that like, yeah, it's heavy and sometimes it can be hard, but also it's kind of humorous that we're kind of bumping up against these things that trip us up or, you know, really invested in changing, but sometimes that change can be really hard. And in that hardness, there's a lot of humor too. So I, I really like that we're going to try to take this different approach to normalizing, healing, um, normalizing, addressing your trauma and normalizing the little T trauma. So um, to explain to the listeners, there are two types of, there's a spectrum of trauma. So there's little T and big T trauma that is sort of, I think, collectively accepted in the world of psychology and self-help and personal development where little T traumas are things that are traumatic events that don't necessarily impede us completely from, you know, being in the world and being um, able to interact with the world around us. And then on the other side of that spectrum is big T trauma that is really um, harmful and creates like physical obstacles, mental obstacles in the way of us being able to connect or to live fully into the, uh, into the fullness of our human experience and, and shared journey. And then there's everything in between there, but we specifically want to talk about the little T traumas that are somewhat humorous, which we will get into in a little bit, and also normalizing that they do affect us. And, you know, they don't necessarily have to always 
lead us down a path of like deep inquiry, but we can look at them and also let them go pretty easily as well if we've if we've got a good mindset. And I don't know if you want to add anything else there, Laura. Yeah, um, I think like you said, you know, it's about exploring those little little things, right? That kind of signpost us to something deeper going on underneath. And sometimes, you know, when you're in therapy or a coaching session and something comes up, often it will link back to something in childhood that, you know, certainly that I found in the work that I do and in my own personal journey, you know, on the surface seems quite insignificant, but can have such a massive impact on a person and their, you know, psychology and how they're programmed and how they're then showing up in life and the results that's creating. And then when we're when we're little, because we don't have the language, the tools and the wisdom to navigate the things that are happening to us, oftentimes it it uh um okay, so I was gonna say, yeah, oftentimes when we're when we're little kids, we don't have the language or the tools, yeah. the resources or the wisdom to know like these little things that you're talking about that can affect us, that they just seem so insignificant. Like somebody calling you chubby when you're not really chubby or somebody saying you're husky when you're not husky those weird little things just affect us in our adult life and it's not until we take a i think a compassionate like investigative look at it to say like is this really true i think that's really what we want to be you know pointing people to like is this really true and can we let it go <laughs> yeah definitely and i think um you know those core memories right that stay with you so something completely insignificant so for me like I have trouble often remembering what I've like had for dinner the, the day before or what I've done the day before um but yeah there's <laughs> certain things that like stick with you right that you're like god I remember that thing really vividly but I don't know what I like why do I remember yes. that out of the whole you know history of my life and often it'll be because it's like you know kind of like highlighted in the subconscious as an important significant event right a significant emotional event on some level and like you said mm -hmm. often it takes a little bit of um investigation um to uncover what that is because when we experience those things at that time we didn't have that kind of greater awareness or understanding or internal resource to unpack or process and i think there's just there's also so much more information now with the dawn of the internet with social media too, that I think people are very invested in changing patterns, even if they don't use that language, that yeah. there's just such a shift in everyone's mindset of like, well, we don't really have to do it the way our parents or grandparents taught us because a lot of our behavior is steeped in those family systems that had really specific coping mechanisms, ways to deal with emotions, ways to deal with like, <laughs> you know, trauma and drama. And sometimes that, you know, they just weren't the right tools for us. And we really need something different so we can be more free. And I think that's also a, probably a through line for both you and I, like we're really, really passionate about personal freedom and personal freedom isn't just like, you know, having a lot of money and like being free. It's also about being free of the things that like bog you down emotionally. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love that explanation. Um, and it's expansion, right? So to me, freedom and expansion mm -hmm. are kind of one of the same and like, you know, by expansion, I mean that growth, that ever like quest for more right like learning growing which is kind of like i'm a sagittarius so that's like top of my list of priorities always has been um but i know obviously <laughs> we connect on that too right yes i'm a cancer and i'm also double water so as you know i at least call laura once a day on our voice memos and i am crying 
I also do a cry <laughs> alert so she knows because she, yeah. she is she is British. There yeah, is it, there is a stereotype of the stiff upper lip, but I think I think Laura does a lot better than most because she's very in tune as a coach. But I do let her know if I'm going to start crying on the voice memo. <laughs> no, uh, not today, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have a cancer moon too, which I don't really know what that means, but. Uh, this is not an astrology podcast clearly <laughs> we no. both we i think I, I you know i definitely believe in it and i definitely believe there's some some parts of it that really i think are undeniable 100%. but i don't understand yeah. it enough yeah i don't understand it enough to really <laughs> educate anybody right enough. now <laughs> <No>. <laughs> all right so why don't we get into a, an episode of little t trauma since we've got this nice uh, robust intro and people come with us along at this point and we kind of know what we're doing here. <laughs> so we're going to basically give you guys an example of a little T trauma and talk about how it's affected us, uh, how we've worked through it, and then how we sort of notice it next time and, and try to pivot to different directions. So Laura has, has been gracious enough to bring her, her first example <laughs> to the first episode. So I'm excited to, to get into this as we prepped for this episode it was really funny. My first of many had a plethora to choose from. <laughs> but yes, in keeping with the name of the podcast, so Little Tea Trauma, this one immediately springs to mind because it does involve tea. Obviously, like Krista said, I am British. But at this particular time in my life, I was living in Australia and I'd gone out for a hike with two really good friends. So on this hike, we were, you know, just chatting, catching up. And these are friends that I felt really comfortable with. You know, we were talking about relationship things. We were talking about our hopes and fears for the future. Anyway, we get back to one of my friend's houses and she's like, oh, you know, would you do like a cup of tea? And I was like, yes, I would love that, please. I really, on this day, really strongly wanted a proper cup of tea, like English breakfast tea, right? In England, we just call it tea. But if you're outside of England, you have to call it English breakfast because otherwise people don't know <laughs> what you're talking about for some reason and so anyway she my friend served me up this tea but she just gave me like a cup with like a you know a tea bag in it and then she took the tea bag out and it was just like black tea and I was like I want milk but this is when the little tea trauma comes into play so I sat there for like what well, it felt like five minutes it might not have been that long but in my head I was going through mm -hmm. this whole monologue of like oh I really want like milk with that but she's not obviously offered me milk, so maybe she doesn't have any. Um, and then obviously, like, my brain's going, you know, well, you could ask for some milk. And I'm like, no, because if she doesn't have any milk, she's going to feel bad. And I know my friend is, you know, quite healthy, so she, she's probably, you know, going to have, like, milk alternatives, but that's not why I'm wanting tea because it doesn't go very well. On and on this went. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to have to accept my fate and just drink the black tea, right? <laughs> probably, like... 45 seconds after that, my friend turned around and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, Like, do you want milk with that? And I was like, oh, yes, please. I, I was kind of aware of the discomfort I was feeling when I was going through that monologue in my head. But as soon as she asked and I felt this relief, then I was like, you know, what was that about? And because, like I said, these are people that I feel really comfortable with. And it's like, if you can't even ask your friend who you're close to and comfortable with for milk, you know, there's something going on there, right? A bit deeper. And so mm -hmm. I, I decided to like share what I'd just gone through with these two friends. Cause again, they were people that were, you know, done self-work before and we kind of started to unpack it and unpack, you know, at this point in my life, there was a bit of a theme of 
not asking for what I want, not feeling comfortable to make requests or to, you know, ask for what I need. And also, if we look b below that as well, is this kind of um, projection or assumption of what people are going to be, you know, what people are doing or thinking. Yeah. Or, or their like motives and stuff. And another key thing when I was thinking about this story to, you know, bring it to the podcast is something else that's interesting when it comes to trauma, which is the generalizations that we make. So like the brain obviously only has a certain capacity, so it cannot process all the information at one time. And so like it will delete, generalize and distort information to make it more manageable. And so throughout this whole process of like yes. wanting the milk but not asking, I'd completely deleted the fact that my friend is married to a big, tall, strong, strapping surfer dude who, of course, would have milk in the fridge, right? So <laughs> it was just like ridiculous on loads of different levels. But that's my little tea trauma origin story, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting too, like the story dialogue that initiates immediately when you yeah. when you tell yourself no. Because that's, that's usually the, I think like that's a really natural step when we have those little tea trauma pings come up, then there's like an immediate, no, I can't have this thing or no, I can't do this. Or because somebody has told me this or that or the other, the, the inverse of it is not possible. And then you start in this like rigmarole of a dialogue and of assumptions, like you were saying, like, and it's just so wild that we, <laughs> that we're all wired to do that. Definitely. And it's like, you know, it's such a, you know, I was talking before about like, you know, I really value freedom and expansion. But going through life with like that kind of handicap, right? Like that kind of mindset that's kind of restricted and kind of boxed in is not expansive at all. And there's, you know, not as much freedom there as there is once you start to unpack those things and, you know, resolve them. It's multi-layered too, which I think is also what's hard when you're addressing trauma, whether it's little T or small T, there's all of these layers. And I like to think of those layers as like your gender, your family, society, culture at large, like there's all these things that are contributing to that overall response to, to something like that. But for you, do you think it was part cultural? Was it because as, as a, in your family system, you weren't used to asking for what you want? Was it gender related? Cause as women, we are very conditioned to not Mm -hmm. ask for too much so where where did you tickle out on all not tickle out where did you <laughs> where did you <laughs> I don't know why I said you <laughs> <laughs> my brain just gave up on me <laughs> what oh god um on those where did you shake out uh of discerning where was the impact there yeah it's interesting um I think there's probably like multiple contributing factors to that I think a large yeah. one was, I think, you know, maybe from the family system growing up, I was kind of quite independent at a young age. And so I had this whole thing of like not wanting to ask for help. And again, yeah. that, that might be a British thing. It might just be a, you know, familial thing. And again, the contrast of Australians. So I remember like getting there and having my Australian friends being like, you know, whatever help you want, like ask for it. You know, if you need a place to stay. And like, I'm the kind of person, if I was going somewhere, I would like get a taxi rather than ask for someone to pick me up from like the station. Because again, maybe British, maybe mm. the hyper-independence. Not wanting to inconvenience someone, I think is a big part of that too. And so that was quite- That's a big you know, one for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, definitely. So like kind of that cultural difference of Australians being very much like, you know, it, and then not to say that British people aren't like that too, because I think, you know, there's plenty of examples that they are, but, you know, I guess just kind of my 
vision of growing up kind of thing of how how things were done or whatever I, I really don't know the specific of that um answer but I think people pleasing tendencies you know factor in there too as in not wanting to inconvenience someone yeah. or not want to make someone feel bad right so I'm I was prepared to kind of forego mm. one of my needs being met so that I didn't you know potentially make someone else feel bad like when that wasn't even a potentiality anyway right because if she didn't have had, had any milk she would have just been like no sorry <laughs> I don't have any milk and it's you know like I'm sure she wouldn't have felt bad about that but for some reason that's kind of like the programming that I had around that whole situation yeah and I think you're you're also calling out something really interesting here too is how th- with the lens in which we view the world when we're coming to situations with our own lived experiences whether they're traumatic or not you know we're always making all of these assumptions about everyone else and it's like even if you had asked for the milk I don't think she probably would have been offended right she would have just been like oh gosh I forgot <laughs> to get you oh my gosh you're british you definitely need milk in your tea because that's how you guys do it yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, and that for whatever reason, your mind was like, I don't want to offend her because, you know, or what if she doesn't have it and then she feels bad and it's like, well, why would she feel bad? <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think like what you're just saying there is like pointing to our model of the world, right? We all have this kind of map of reality that's not necessarily based on yes. the actual facts and possibilities, but based on, you know, our assumptions, our beliefs, our programming around growing up, our values, And like, I think we kind of touched on at some point was around, you know, Brene Brown has that saying of, um, you know, the story I'm telling myself is. And like, that's really important, I think, in terms of what we're kind of talking about here is like the stories we tell ourselves around, you know, that. So I was telling myself a story of my friend's going to feel bad if she if I ask for something that she can't provide, where did I learn that? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And there's like, there's just so many layers and degrees in which you could take that self inquiry and, and obviously always in a gentle and compassionate way to, to uncover where that is. So in, in, in thinking about that for you, where, where did you end up deciding like of the things that were making the most, I guess, like uncomfortableness, whether it was like, not wanting to upset her, the people pleasing, or even the not being able to ask for what you want. What were you able to resolve once you looked at that situation? And and you were obviously talking to your friends about it too. So you yeah. you were saying to them like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going through this thing, which we talked about before we recorded. Like you, they were so you know there was somebody who you could say like, this is the story I'm telling myself. So for you, where did you end up? Um, deciding where where did most of the care in in resolving that little t trauma go to for you yeah so for me it was really about starting to honor my own needs rather than kind of minimizing those needs something as simple as a not even necessarily a need right but a preference for some milk in the tea i couldn't even feel comfortable with close friends that i'm comfortable with to voice that so map that out further afield it's Mm. very problematic for me right um and with that I started to kind of go you know wow I really need to do something about this and I think that's what helped me kind of highlight that on that day was you know that sense of external safety was there and so my Mm -hmm. um you know old programming the old pattern you know adaption strategy right was no longer 
needed and it and it seemed out of place yeah it was mm-hmm. no longer necessary and it and that allowed me to see like oh here's something that's really outdated and not serving me so you know what's the next step right like and for me that was around you know exploring and because like, i think you know many people can probably relate to this too is after a lifetime of kind of suppressing or minimizing your needs and desires and preferences sometimes you don't even know what they are anymore right so it's kind of then a journey to start absolutely to unravel all of that i love what you said there and i think it's an important thing to underline with anyone who's trying to do this work is making sure that you are in safe places with safe people because what you're practicing there and what our best friend Brene Brown always says is a really deep <laughs> oh, level <bestie. laughs> of vulnerability to our bestie. Hey, bestie. Um, a deep level of vulnerability that can't always be practiced in certain spaces with certain people because it, it, it is like being in the same grade as somebody. If we were to like use this as a, an analogy, like, you know, you and I are in the same grade. We're obviously master levels right here or PhD, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But when you're having those vulnerable experiences where you you are really wanting to be honest about what's happening to you, can't really always lay that down with like your family who doesn't really want to talk about stuff or your partner who's not on that same level. So it's always important to try to practice moving away from those those patterns that don't serve you anymore, like you said, in places that are safe, that can receive that vulnerability from you. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, coming back to the nervous system, right? feeling safe is essential Mm -hmm. to be able to be in a position to do these things and explore these things. You know, for many people, how to regulate your nervous system was not something that was kind of talked about growing up, right? Or like, for many people still not, they don't have any idea. So um, yeah, like you said, having people, whether that's people that you, you know, have to seek out and pay for that level of regulation, or you've manage to surround yourself with like friends or some family members or a partner that has that understanding and awareness so that you know you can have those regulated experiences and then feel safe to get those deeper insights the nervous system is such a integral piece of the healing process that again it's not something unless you go on this journey you're really interacting with because um especially here in the western world uh we are very prone to just like Uh, addressing all the symptoms, but not looking at the holistic components um, or all of the moving parts and take a holistic view of what's going on. And a lot of us grow up in, in systems that require our nervous system to always be firing or activated. And then we seek out those patterns again. But once you start to practice regulating your nervous system and teaching it safety from within that's like a huge game changer i think on the healing journey and maybe we'll have to have like a a nervous system expert come on and talk about just that alone (laughs) yeah i wonder if gabo was free (laughs) our other bestie (laughs) (laughs) our other bestie gabo when you were saying that i was just thinking you know he explains it really well right in terms of um authenticity versus attachment you know he often talks about when we're born we have two needs like the need to be authentic which is to express ourselves and to be seen heard understood and and loved and feel safe in that Mm -hmm. expression and then the obviously the need for attachment right a baby can't survive without its parent or a caregiver so attachment is essential for survival 
And what can happen as we go through life is that trade-off, right? At some point, there's a situation that feels unsafe. And so we learn that to mm. get our needs met or to survive in that environment, we need to kind of minimise ourselves, minimise our needs or desires or preferences or self-expression yeah. to prioritise attachment over authenticity. And I think, you know, in that yeah. moment with the, the little T example is, you know, in that moment, I was like, because what, what was the fear, right? If I asked and she felt bad, then that might jeopardise, mm -hmm. you know, that connection um, or that might then jeopardise her availability, right? If she was going to, you know, feel upset and then how, how would she deal with that? Obviously, that was all in my head and not necessarily the reality of the situation. But I think kind of unpacking mm -hmm. it is what was going on, right? That trade-off for my authenticity and desire kind of getting put in a little box for let's maintain equilibrium and connection and safety in that moment, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the crux of it. It's the fear and then the, uh, the, the authenticity and attachment piece are just so integral in trying to understand why why is this happening? Why are we taking this pathway when these kinds of things come up? So that's a really, really good point. All right, so we're wrapping up at the end here. We want to try to keep these podcasts about 30 minutes a piece. So they're bite-sized, but they're powerful and that we are giving people some things to think about. But I, we did want to remind everybody, so this is a new podcast limited series. We're going to go ahead and issue the first two episodes back to back so you can have those two as binge worthy up front. Um, next week, we'll be talking about my little tea trauma, which is, I think, hilarious and really, but also took me a long time to get through. Um, and then we also want to invite you guys to write into us, um, tag us on social media if you want us to talk about your little tea trauma. We, we've also got an email address that you can email your little tea traumas to, and we'll read them on the show in the following segments. But we really wanted to use this first episode to set up like a baseline, introduce ourselves, tell you what we're doing here. And then I'm going to hand it over to Laura for anything else she wants to say as we wrap up here. So yes, I hope everyone had fun listening, as much fun listening as we had recording this episode. And we would love to have you back here for our next little tea trauma chat. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We're so excited to be doing this with you guys and um, to be going on this little adventure of Little Tea Trauma podcast. And uh, thanks for joining us and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have a Little Tea Trauma you'd like Laura and Krista to help you with, send it to Little Tea Trauma podcast at Gmail to have it featured on the show. Make sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow Little T Trauma on the Lightcasting YouTube channel. Little T Trauma is a Lightcasting production. Music by Score Wizards. Editing, directing, and post-production by Chris Ziomata. Lead vocals by Laura Forbes and Chris Ziomata. 